bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, owner of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing and consulting firm for behavioral health and addiction treatment. Today, I am joined by Ben Dittman. He is the CEO of Avea Solutions. They are a billing and revenue cycle management platform, um, different from a billing vendor. They actually have a software that supports the back end of billing and revenue cycle operations. And so I'm very excited to talk with him today. But before we do that, I want to hear from our sponsors, Soberlink. Hundreds of treatment programs are already using technology to improve patient outcomes. Is yours one of them? If not, it's time to upgrade with Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system. Soberlink keeps AUD clients engaged and instills accountability to improve your clients' outcomes. But don't take my word for it. See for yourself by signing up for a risk-free, exclusive pilot program. Just email info at Soberlink.com. That's info, I-N-F-O at Soberlink, S-O-B-E-R-L-I-N-K.com, and mention the Recovery Executive Podcast to get started. Always appreciate the team over there at Soberlink. So as I mentioned today, we're speaking with Ben Dittman and Avea Solutions uh, works with a large number of providers, big and small across the US. So they have a lot of national trending and then localized reimbursement data, which is really important. And Ben will talk with us and share about that, especially when you're looking at of network, in network, um, how to navigate some of those relationships. But more importantly, Ben is really an expert in terms of operationalizing the workflows when it comes to billing and revenue cycle management. And when we're doing our consulting with clients, this is a big area where we see breakdowns. So we've actually gone into providers where they're literally only getting 8% back of build charges, 8%. So the vast majority of what they should be getting paid is not getting there, not because they're not doing the work and they're not providing the services, but because they have no standardization and no understanding and tracking on a more granular level about what's working within their billing process. So just like in marketing, where we have a lot of clients that will look at their marketing spend and then their cost per admission, well, there's about 20, 25 steps in between that that they need to have analyzed and understood if they want to actually be effective in what they're doing and understand what's working and what's not working. Billing and revenue cycle management is exactly the same as Ben will get into. You have the VOB process, which is something that's often very much overlooked, but the VOB process is actually very important for getting uh, strong reimbursement back. And then from there you have UR, then you have your, obviously your billing, your claim submissions and your denials, your appeals, all that kind of stuff. And you have your documentation from your clinicians. And this is another one that we see consistently is where clinicians are not doing a good job of documentation and it's not necessarily their fault. They're not even being told that they're not doing it well. So there has to be, as Ben will talk about, very strong feedback loops set up between the VOB team, UR, the clinicians, and the billing claim submissions team. Because if you don't have all of that connected, then you're gonna be missing a lot of gaps and not gonna be able to understand what's working or what's not working. So with that, let's get into the conversation, listen to what Ben has to say. Okay, welcome, Ben. I appreciate you coming on the show here. So you just want to introduce yourself a bit and tell people about Avea Solutions? 
Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, ben Dittman with Havaya Solutions. Uh, founded the company about seven years ago. Uh, our company is a healthcare technology company focused specifically in, in behavioral health. Uh, primarily, we support substance use disorder facilities and eating disorder facilities. And our goal is basically to, to build the best um, insurance billing and, and uh, collections platform for the industry. So maybe just help people understand a bit before we get going. You know, what would you say is the difference or similarities between Avea and you know a traditional billing company? Sure. So so number one, um, and, and I'll kind of give you a little bit of a background. We we started the company always with a focus to build technology, but in order to build the right technology, we we actually started as a billing company. So we went out. We, uh, we brought on about 30 different treatment centers as clients, and, and we did billing and collections um, uh, for them. And, and what we saw in the industry was that everybody was adapting medical billing platforms over to behavioral health, and there's enough nuance, uh, nuances between tracking utilizations, carve-outs for, for behavioral health uh, treatment, um, claims rules, et cetera. That, that we thought that the industry really needed a, a system built from the ground up specifically for billing um, the insurance companies. So we did that um, during the, well, I like to say it, we lived the nightmare of being a billing company and, and a billing team. Um, during that period, we wrote all the requirements for our software, built the software, and then about three years ago, decided that we'd get out of the services side because we built a great platform that supports billing companies. Um, but it also can be used internally for, for treatment centers that want to do billing in-house. Um, and we've got quite a few clients that have a hybrid environment. So they'll work with an outsourced billing group um, or maybe just a group to do utilization management or verification of benefits. Um, but they can do that in a closed system with their internal team as well. So one of the problems that, you know, you guys identified was a lack of transparency and just, um, you know, kind of a lack of understanding of, of some of the metrics that are needed to um, properly assess and, and manage the revenue cycle in terms of reimbursement. So can you just kind of walk us through what, what are the main things that people should be looking at in, within their billing departments or within their billing processes? Sure. Um, so a couple of things. One is, is uh, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So... You've got to think all the way from from pretty much pre-admission, how that information is going to flow into into uh, insurance claims being created, and and so what we do is, is we look at right from the beginning. Verification of benefits are so important. Uh, one misstep on the information that you collect uh, can cost you thousands, um, tens of thousands of dollars uh, easily. So. So really stepping into verification of benefits on the front end. Um, also during that process, making sure that that information that's being input into the system is in alignment with what the insurance companies have. So for instance, with our product, you go through the process and you do an electronic uh, eligibility and it pings the insurance company in real time and says that the information that you have is correct. Uh, because if you miskey or fat finger a group number or plan ID, um, what that's going to do is it's going to create denials, and that's that's going to impact your cash flow down the road. So you you start with verification of benefits, 
the the next area you re you really want to look at is authorizations and utilization management. And so, the the team that you have that's in call, calling the insurance company, um, who the case managers are, um, really tracking in detail, you know, what that auth process looks like. Um, why are auths improving or or uh, actually uh, diminishing? Um, are you using all of the authorized days from the insurance companies? Um, and and then that flows directly into your claim submission, attendance tracking process, uh, ultimately getting claims out the door. We try and automate that process so you don't have to think about claims creation and so that errors can't fall through, through the cracks. Uh, and, then, and then it's collections. So when you need to be making phone calls on the collections, what's the success rate on those? on those first phone calls to the insurance companies? Are you tracking all of that? Is there transparency in the process? Are there always follow-up dates associated with it? And one of the things that I mentioned uh, earlier to you was, was really a huge um, thing that I don't think people do enough is tracking why claims aren't getting paid. And so tagging any of those, those that collections process with an issue to say, oh, this claim's not getting paid because there's a verification of benefits issue, or claims aren't getting paid because of coordination of benefits, or timely filing, or, you know, there's incorrect, uh, you know, the billing team uh, billed incorrectly, or the payer is paying at an incorrect rate. Um, all of that informs uh, decisions that ultimately can impact revenue down the road and, uh, and, and breakdowns in your process. Um, and then after the collection side, you know, you start wanting to track appeals and, and really follow through at the end with uh, patient responsibility and in your collections on the patient responsibility side, which is which is a huge, we're seeing a huge shift in the industry right now um, around collecting patient responsibility. So that's a lot, you know, and we were talking before. <laughs> kind of the way that people look at billing is almost the way that they look at marketing sometimes, right? Like for us, a client will come to us and say, well, what's our cost per admission, right? And then if the cost per admission is too high, then they'll just blame the marketing team or the marketing company, which is us, right? But there's all these different points of contact. It can be the call center. It can be the way the website's set up. It can be, you know, the top of the funnel where people are clicking to the website. It could be the landing page. You know, there's all these different pain points along the way for the customer journey that you have to dig into to find out what's driving the cost up and then how to lower that cost. So you're saying the same thing on the billing end where you're saying, hey, it's not just, okay, did we get reimbursed what we thought we were going to get reimbursed? You're saying, hey, there's, you know, 10, 15 points along this line here that you need to be looking at. And I think I'd probably be able to guess pretty accurately here that I would say a lot of providers are not doing that level of granular tracking. Would you say that's accurate? That's absolutely accurate. And I think that that, that goes across the board in terms of, we call it scorecards. I mean, we use it within our organization. Every department has a scorecard. Every process should have a scorecard and you should be managing those, those numbers on a weekly basis. Um, and then on a monthly reviewing on a quarterly and looking at where breakdowns are, because that's going to show you, where the the actually root cause problems are rather than just solving the symptoms of the problems down the road when you're not you know when when all of a sudden you're going oh i'm not getting money that's that's a symptom of something breaking down uh or a root cause earlier on in the process 
So let's dig into that kind of early phase two. We've seen that obviously, you know, marketing, I think I've even said on this show before, you know, we've had clients where they're getting calls for like pizza delivery and like credit cards and stuff when they use a bunch of these third party crappy um, call by services, right? But what'll happen is you got the wrong people coming to the website for the wrong reason due to whether it's poor advertising or poor SEO or whatever the case may be. So that's kind of an example that I'm familiar with on your end what do you see as those kind of pain points in the VOB process that sets it up for failure once it gets to the actual reimbursement? Um, oh, so, so when it comes to verification of benefits, I mean, it can be simple questions like, is uh, JCO or CARF accreditation required? Um, is, does your insurance plan support uh, out-of-state benefits, um, out-of-network, out-of-state benefits? Uh, you know, the there's so many little kind of gotchas that you really need to have a well-defined process and be tracking that process. Um, and, and often what happens, and I think that this is where when people start looking at their AR report, they're looking at the AR report by a patient's name and they should really be pulling the patient's name out and, and grouping those claims by issue type and being able to say this is actually the monetary impact that a breakdown in our system has has caused, um, and as a result, you know, it's it's that one slip on on a verification of benefits ended up costing us thirty four thousand dollars, or the fact that we didn't train somebody in that role, it's cost us one hundred eighty thousand dollars this year, and and we see those those huge numbers. Um, that people just don't even realize that there's a breakdown and it's often way too late and they're writing off a significant amount of money. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we've even gone into providers where they're literally not tracking the lengths of stay. And so people are getting discharged early for whatever reason, or they have IAMA rates and they're sometimes losing hundreds of thousands of dollars over, you know, six month to year windows because they were tracking admissions, but never actually tracked the length of stay and found out that, most people were getting dismissed like halfway through their authorized days or something. I think another critical point that you brought up in one of our earlier conversations was the importance of feedback loops in this process. So it's identifying what's going on, but then making sure that the feedback is getting to the appropriate team or to the appropriate uh, staff members to say, hey, this is what's costing us money and this is what isn't being done right. And here's the result of that. Can you kind of walk through some of those feedback loops that you recommend are in place? Yeah, I mean, you know, the kind of our whole mantra internally as an organization is, is we call it process compliance. And so what you want to be doing is just looking from the very beginning process, what the different metrics are in each in each stage, and then and then um, reviewing those on a regular basis. And and then when you when you find an issue. Um, you, we call it issue process it. You know, you go through and you say, I'm gonna IDS it, which is identify what the issue is, discuss uh, how it got to be this point and ultimately solve it. Um, and that means, you know, another one of our, our core values is fail forward. Um, how do we learn from this and how do we go back and say, okay, this is, we need to build a new process uh, on the front end of verification of benefits. Um, how can we get the team engaged because they understand that this metric's important, that they want to build things as automated as possible so that they can't make their own 
their own errors too. So I think part of it is just really educating your team on what, you know, what your mission is and what your goals are and what are the ultimate numbers that they have an impact on. Um, and then they start being part of that feedback loop as well. So let's kind of talk about diving into that scorecard and those metrics. You know, you mentioned um, that certain metrics are important and, you know, we've had conversations about the fact that amount reimbursed versus amount billed is like a really poor metric. <laughs> um, so why would that be the case? And then what are some good metrics that you should be watching for the billing team? Oh man, there's, there's so many. Uh, we've, we've actually got a, uh, a little white paper that we did on our website that goes into to all of those metrics. Um, you know, days to payment uh, is one. Um, days to first um, first claim payment without interactions. So, meaning that that you've been able to submit a claim, but um, it's gotten paid without you having to touch it. Um, looking at um, the the timeliness between when a service is rendered and when that claim is billed. So we, we often go into organizations and we'll see that they're rendering a service at the beginning of the month, but the way that they end up batching their billing, it's often taking them, you know, three to four weeks to get the claims out the door. And all that does is it delays uh, cash flow. Um, we, we look at, so part of it is, is you should be loading into your system your expected reimbursement for out of network. And if you're contracted and in-network, loading those in at the payer level so that when you're running a report, it's not just based on charges, but you're running it based on what you're expecting from the insurance company. And then it's really easy to pull those, uh, you know, that data out, put it in a pivot table and look at, look at differences. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, timeliness of verification of benefits, uh, utilization management. So what's by case manager, by insurer, what are the average days that are authorized by level of care? Um, another thing that's really important is, and you mentioned this earlier, is, is the utilization of what's been authorized. So if your team's turning around and, and negotiating with the insurance companies around a certain authorization um, and fighting for the clients to be in treatment for that, for that period of time, but then all of a sudden that those services aren't being rendered or not being billed, um, and you need to be managing that and, and really um, looking at that in detail. But that's that's a breakdown in the system. Um, if you start to see authorizations going down, why is it? Is it is it due to uh, the information that's being provided in the clinical records? Do you need to bring in training? Is it is it an insurer? Um, is it a case manager having having a bad week? Um, all of those things are ultimately impacting. Uh, the client's success down the road. You know, and then when you look at all those metrics, right, you, do you see ballpark ranges or benchmarks or is it more specific to the particular provider? You know, if I'm looking at percentage of denials or denials overturned or just even kind of average ARs, you know, do you give any guidance around that? I wish I, I, wish I could give um, more industry uh, standards. Um, so much of that depends on the team, you know, and so what you want to do is you want to automate all the monotonous tasks and, and then have your, have really good people in the roles of 
of doing what you know we as humans do best is is that cognitive thinking and, and problem solving and and so you know you've got some teams that just they're they're sharks when it comes to fighting the, the appeals process um and they do an incredible job and they get much higher turnover rates um you know it it also depends on how well you know you're training your your um, staff on on charting and, and the medical records that can have a direct uh, impact on those numbers. So, as much as I'd like to say there's there are some industry um, trends, um, a lot of this is really where where you want to be tracking those internally and setting an internal goal uh, that that people are monitoring on a regular basis. And if you're not hitting that that goal, you need to be as we call it, issue processing and saying, you know, let's let's talk why this is this is off track. Um, and then on a you know on a yearly and a quarterly basis, you really need to be looking back at those numbers and saying, is this where you know is this what we should be hitting and and why? But the whole you don't want to be caught at the end um, going what happened. You sh- you should be able to see leading indicators, uh, you know, on a weekly basis that really inform you that something's going to go wrong down the road. Yeah, I've become a really big fan of um, visualizations within our data sets. <laughs> it's just so much easier to kind of <laughs> see it tracking month to month or week to week. And you're like, oh, that took a big dip. You know, we better take a look versus if it's just an Excel, you tend not to pay attention to it or, or notice the comparisons as much. We, we use that conditional formatting a ton. You know, it's, it's the red, yellow, green. And every week, you know, it's it's we sit through at at, at every department level, and, and everybody's got their numbers. And it's if it's if it's red, we we put it into a bucket to talk about that day, and and why is it off track? Um, and if it's green or yellow, it's you know we can't have yellows multiple multiple weeks. But if it's green, we don't need to discuss it. Um, so yeah, I, that's you know. And, and some of the neat stuff that we're starting to get into is, is that data visual, visualization and dashboards and, and business intelligence and being able to, to graphically chart out, you know, reimbursements month over month and, and split, you know, payer, payer mixes into pie charts so that you can really see concentration in certain areas. Um, but have it, have those interactive charts as well so that you can, you can drill into, into certain numbers. Yeah, and to one of your points earlier, you're really looking at that more granular level where you know you don't want to just tra- track reimbursements in the aggregate, but it's actually breaking it down by payer source, right? Right, um, payer source, plan plan number. You know, I mean, employee. That's that's you know when it comes to to utilization management or or billing collections. You know, um, you you look at it. There's a great book, uh, measure what, um, what gets measured gets, uh, man, it's not, no measure what matters by John Doerr. And, uh, and he was, you know, behind Intel and, and their operations. And, and if you start looking at from the very top down, every number should cascade down within an organization. And so it's really important to be, understanding how each department, how their numbers influence the ultimate goals of, of the organization as a whole. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then going back to your feedback loops, 
you know, you have those regular meetings and those check-ins when you're looking and say, okay, if something's going wrong, we've got red here, what's going on with it? But you're able to have that kind of connection because you've got the teams working together. And I think that's something that probably a lot of providers could um, use to bring into their organizations. Like, I feel like there's sometimes not enough interdepartmental communication or just regular check-ins with the team to, you know, see what's working and what's not. We're, we're a big believer in frameworks. And so this, this last over the last 18 months, we've been implementing what we call what's a, what's called traction or the the EOS platform. And what it is is it's it's a common set of um, basically from the the management team down. Everybody follows the same cadence with a weekly meeting. The weekly meeting's agenda is the same. There's a scorecard. Everybody's processing issues the same way. Um, we have an organizational checkup that we do on a quarterly basis to make sure that we're on track. Procedures need to be documented, but, but it also creates that common language and it aligns everybody to say, you know, it's, it's not like, okay, we're going to just, we're meeting in Germany in July. It's we're meeting in on July 2nd at 3 PM at this restaurant in Germany. And there's 18 of us that are going to be there. And and it gives us that laser-focused, um, you know, point in which which there's no room for error. And the other part is is, is, is there's transparency throughout the organization that everybody knows if we're off track, where we need to be focusing on it. Definitely useful. Yeah, you sent me that book, and I've got to get through. I've started it, but I haven't made it all the way through yet. <laughs> One of the things that you brought up was the idea that too many providers are kind of focused on the patient in terms of reimbursement and they're tracking a patient name where you really recommend that there should be more of a, an aggregated data approach and you should be looking at, you know, like you said, the payer sources, but overall these systems and processes, because if you're just looking at the individual person, you're not catching systemic problems that are occurring. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, we call it intelligent AR. So the, the AR report that everybody's used to seeing is usually either an insurance only, so just the patient names, and then buckets around you know, 30, 60, 90, 120, et cetera, um, and then the dollar amounts. And, and if you look at that list, it's going to show you that, that your, your client's claims are not getting paid, but it doesn't give you any value into why they're not getting paid. Um, and so what we recommend is, is, is you want to be able to have a system that you can run that report and actually remove the patient names and, and only look at the issues and, and truly be focused on all of those issues. You know, 45 days out, if a claim's not getting paid, your team should be identifying um, the, the cause of, of that delay. And, and what happens is you'll actually see that, that claims can have multiple issues happen to them. So you may end up having something on the front end where there's a verification of benefits issue that they, they got the wrong primary insurance. And then, you know, by the time the patient goes, is in treatment, the claim gets paid, you're, you're looking at, or a claim gets um, submitted, claim gets processed, you're now 40 days out from, from that incident happening well now you have to turn around and fix it put in a new primary payer and and adjust it you're now sending that claim to another payer then that payer may turn around and there may be a, 
a credentialing issue or a contract issue. Um, and your team then is working on getting that fixed. And then you get that fixed and then they pay at an incorrect rate. Throughout the entire process, you should be tracking those issues and the impact that that has. And you, you want to be able to pull out the patient's name from it so that you can aggregate those, those dollars and actually show the impact that every single one of those issues is causing on your AR. Um, because often everybody kind of, I, I say, kicks the dog. The billing team gets blamed, but they're not collecting. And then the, and then the payer is blamed for not paying. But the reality of the situation is, is there's usually processes that the, that the facility is causing on the front end that's having a huge impact on, on the cash flow. The other side of it is, is, is if the insurance company is requesting medical records or documentation, the timeliness to get that back to them also impacts your cash flow. So, so we strip that information out. We then sit down and look at those, those grand totals and that dollar amount and the number of claims that are being impacted. And then what's nice is you can take that back to, to your departments and teams and say, oh, look, because of this a coordination of benefits issue, it's costing us $41,000 of, of expected revenue that we're not able to use for for growth or salaries or marketing or, or putting back into client care. Um, and when you start breaking it down by that large dollar amount, you really get people to understand the impact of what they're doing um, rather than just saying, oh, you know, I need you to do better at, at VOBs on the front end. So from your perspective, what are some of the, the most common stumbling blocks you've seen, like where that process breaks down? from you know kind of your national view there i mean we see it i mean i right off the bat there's there's a substantial amount that happens um on verification of benefits uh there's the next piece where we really see um issue is is uh coverage being terminated um during the treatment stay so um you know all of a sudden nobody's been paying cobra or following or um, the plan gets terminated for some reason and in the facilities unaware. And so there's a, a substantial amount that gets, uh, uh, you know, gets written off or, or becomes an issue because of that. Um, you know, credentialing issues can be, be huge medical records. I mean, the, that's probably the biggest bucket that we see is, is the amount of medical record requests and, and how much of that's sitting out there because, uh, facilities aren't actively getting the information back as quickly as they need to. I'll, uh, I'll take as a to-do note for me to, to come up with the top 10 <laughs> <laughs> issues impacting the industry. That's a good one. On the renewal one, I'm kind of curious, you know, what's your, I mean, because that can take a significant amount of time to like constantly be checking, you know, the patients and whether their policies are active or not. So what's your recommended process on that? Uh, it's actually, so that's the, the beauty of technology is that you can you can run eligibility with a check of a button, so you can turn around and and check eligibility, um, and and part of that is is just it's you know uh, using a system out there that that runs that and runs it, saying okay, let's let me look at it an effective date and is coverage going to be covered? 
Um, there's a lot of solutions out there. Ours has has that built built into it. It's definitely helpful to know because I've seen people spend a lot of time on it. Where, you know, like one VOB specialist perhaps, or one biller is assigned to just checking renewals every month, and it just can take a significant amount of time. So I think it's helpful for people to understand that there are other solutions available. Um, so then you're looking at kind of all of these different pieces and, you know, a big question for a lot of providers is, well, you know, do I do this in house or do I outsource it to a billing company? You know, what are your thoughts around those different solutions? And then what should they really be looking for when, whether they're outsourcing it to, uh, I guess it's not outsourcing, but they're giving it to an internal team or outsourcing it. You know, what should they really be trying to look for in quality staff or vendors? Yeah. So, I mean, the decision to, to keep it in-house or, or outsource really, you know, you have to, to look at a bunch of different factors. Where is your organization and what are your goals? So if you're a high growth organization that's, that's, uh, um, that's focused on acquisitions and, and scaling, um, you may not want to be, you may not want to be thinking about running an internal billing team. So you may want to bring in experts to, to manage that from a growth perspective because um, you want all your your internal team and your employees' efforts focused on growth. Um, for organizations that, that maybe are not high growth and, and are sitting back and going, okay, let me look at where my high costs are and, and I may be able to do something, um, you know, internally at a, at a cheaper cost, uh, that's that's a consideration of bringing it in house. Um, also, if you've got a really if you've got an incredible team that's executing and and uh, you feel like you can manage it internally, sometimes it gives you the control over and the and the access to your team that that it makes sense to have an internal team doing it. Um, what we saw too is is that sometimes you want a little bit of both. So you know you may want to be just need. Um, an outsourced billing provider as a uh, as a phone a friend, um, or or maybe your team's really good at the billing and collections, but not great on the appeals, and and you need people to support you on the utilization management or getting off offs um, with a system that's that's kind of online in the cloud and everybody has access to it in real time. It allows you to have multiple parties involved, and you can kind of uh, you know, um, do a la carte services uh, as needed. Um, but if you're selecting an outsourced billing group, I mean, part of that is just really understanding um, what they're experts at. So there's certain billing teams that are that are phenomenal on on uh, utilization management and ops. Um, that's really important. Some are really good at the appeals process. They've got attorneys on staff and, and are fighting for every dollar. Um, you really just kind of want to interview each different uh, billing company and, and kind of like that whole scorecard process, you know, say, okay, how do you manage your verification of benefits on the front end? Um, how accurate are they? Um, is that something that I'm going to be doing it internally uh, or is it something that I'm going to be outsourcing? Um, what's the timeliness of turnaround? Um, you know, you, you kind of want to be going through the whole process and, and, and asking questions and meeting with those team, uh, teams to say, you know, okay, is this something I want to do internally or is this something that I really feel that these are the experts that deal with the day in and day out and are going to be able to do it better? If you're, if you're planning on bringing billing in-house, 
<laughs> and I think that this is just key across the board, you know, having the right team and the right culture. So, you know, having somebody who's really going to care about these dollars as much as you do is important. And, and, you know, make sure that you're finding the right resource for each, each role and each seat. And, and we call that um, GWC. So does that person get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do it? And where we see a lot of money getting left on the table and, and breakdowns in the process is when you don't have the right person in the right seat. I, I think the problem I see a lot of the times when I'm looking at a variety of businesses, but addiction treatment centers in particular, is they have a certain level of expertise, obviously, in delivering quality clinical care, but then it ends there, right? So they don't know what, what roles do you need for a good billing team? And then if I know those roles, what skill sets do I need in, inside of that? And then once I have identified those skill sets, what is a good outcome? What's a bad outcome, right? So kind of going back to your point of having scorecards in place, like if you don't have a scorecard, then it's really, really hard for you to kind of do any of it internally because you just don't know if you're hiring the right people, if the people are doing the right things in the role. So you've got to have those kind of benchmarks in place or, or work to build them you know, if you want to bring it in-house. And even I think the same for outsourcing though, right? If you're going to outsource, you still want to know the same things. <laughs> you know, are they doing it well and what are they doing well? So build out those scorecards and then, you know, you might not know right away, but, you know, within six months to a year, you should have a pretty good idea of what's working and what's not. And if you need to switch up staff or switch up vendors. Yeah, no, and, and I think that goes back to, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, in God we trust, all others bring data. <laughs> right, um, right, yeah, and and it's you know you've got people you trust them, but but at the end of the day, it's it's the data drives decisions, and and uh, and and it also is important because I mean you know finding the right the right people, but then also making sure that you've got a, a good um, redundancy plan in place is huge. Yeah. So, that makes all sense. You know, that's that's where the the you know the data and documented policies and procedures, um, all is is a safety net on you know on that person that you've you've trusted. Yeah, it's so important. I found that even in my own business here, right? Like you just have to have so many checks and balances in place, and the the challenge is also just keeping staff attuned to them, right? Because they get good at their roles and they become good at what they do and they start to skip steps but when they skip steps like inevitably they, they miss something at some point right so it's like stick to the checklist make sure that we use um um because otherwise something might slip through the cracks yep all right so we've kind of covered some of the main obstacles that come up or, or you know things that you've seen in terms of breakdowns that are common what about ways to maximize billing? Have you seen anything that really tends to be super effective in helping get either better reimbursements or reimbursements faster? I mean, it's garbage in, garbage out. You know, so so that's probably the biggest the biggest impact. And and I think that this is actually an important thing to bring up because it's everybody right now wants this integrated billing solution. Um, and they want the EHR to talk to the the billing platform and everything to flow through and and um, and automate the process. And in theory, that's great. 
but the problem is, is if you don't have the right checks and balances in the data and in really understanding kind of source control data and then once you have that data being able to lock it down so people can't change things that impacts uh revenue down the road and and the same thing with automation so so the fact that a system may transfer fields if it's if it's transferring information that's incorrect that's going to ultimately impact your revenue um so so really having what again this goes back to the process compliance trying to limit the amount of area error areas that there could be a breakdown um, if you're tracking your authorization numbers in another system um, if you're tracking your census and attendance in another system if if all that doesn't flow together succinctly it's gonna it's gonna impact um, uh, payment performance substantially and and so that's probably the, I mean, the amazing thing is, is when, when you get an automated claims creation process and your, your authorization and all of your rules and everything is succinct, it's amazing how fast the payers will turn around payment. Um, and, and we see, you know, I mean, it's, you know, from a couple of days to, you know, on average being about 14 days to money in the bank, um, you know, for the, for, I'd say, you know, 80% of the claims. Um, but, but what that takes is it takes, you know, you, you don't necessarily want your EHR to just transfer that patient face sheet over because if it's not structured the right way to, to send out the door to the insurance company or somebody fat fingers, uh, you know, the wrong insurance plan number, or, you know, they're tracking ops in a spreadsheet and they, they're turning around and, and miskeying an off on a claim form it's that snowball effect. The, the first error just causes issues for every subsequent claim that goes out the door. Mm. And then you have to go through an, an entire collections process. So um, having, having that automation is huge uh, on the claim side, but don't, don't think that, okay, I'm going to save all this time by transferring the, the 18 fields that are in the EHR. It's more concerning around the, you know, the hundred plus that, that are input into the billing system and then is automated in the billing process down the road. We're, we're working on that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the idea is to have a, uh, an integration that's seamless and, and really bi-directional and, but, but that's right now a unicorn for the, for the industry. And if somebody's telling you that they've got something that that's incredible, um, uh, be wary because we're we're seeing we're seeing the majority of integrations being turned off uh, because because it's so important to have the information and and billers don't want other people messing with their data they'd rather put in the right stuff the first time than have to check someone else's work um, and one thing that we brought up and I don't know if it's if it's you know I I kind of um, stand on my high horse on this one, but, but the, the fact that facilities are, are delivering um, care that's different than what's being authorized. You know, we're, what we're seeing is, is we're seeing that the insurance companies are author, authorizing one level of care, but the facilities are, are delivering a completely different level of care. And, and that's fine as long as you're notifying the insurance companies and being transparent about it. But 
if you're if you're clinically delivering one and billing something else, that's that's insurance fraud. The other side is is it's beyond that. It it really it's informing the only data that the the payers have is what your claims data is. So if you're turning around and saying that you're if you're really delivering residential care but you're providing PHP or IOP and, um, or excuse me, billing PHP or IOP, the payers are seeing success with lower levels of care. So that's going to inform them on changing some of that criteria around authorizations and other, other items. So it's, you're actually squeezing and hurting the industry if they don't know really what's being delivered to the patients. I mean, and, and there's the right way to do that. Uh, we've done some webinars with some experts on that, and, and people can go out to our website and and uh, and look into it. But um, you know, have a process where where you're working with an insurance company and informing them, um, or or delivering what they're they're authorizing. Um, and that's going to be that's going to be a hard shift for a lot of facilities. And and you know, the unfortunately, I think the you look at that one person and, and, uh, and you make the exception for that one, but as a result, you're, you're causing a huge amount of issues for, for a larger population. Um, and so it's, it's definitely something to be aware of and to be looking at. Yeah. I think it's really important. I mean, we talk to clients about that all the time, you know, and it's hard because they, yeah, I mean, I think rightly so. They feel like they're doing the patient a favor, right? Because they're providing a higher quality of care and what they think is medically necessary, you know, regardless of maybe what's authorized. But at the same time, like you said, they're they're shooting themselves in the foot long term. And, you know, I mean, unless you're communicating that to the payers and, and there can be complications there because some payers, like you said, will, will, you know, come down on you for it, um, unfortunately. So it is, it's, it's a challenge, but it has to be changed because if we don't have the data, then the payers are going to have incorrect information. And, and I think they'll continue to reduce rates like we've seen them doing for the past couple of years. What's your opinion in terms of, um, you know, I think the industry is pretty familiar with the shift from out of network to in network now, but, you know, do you have any other comments on that trend as it kind of moves forward? I mean, I think it's, you know, and, and you've had, a handful of people talking about uh, contract negotiations and, and how to be preparing their business for those. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's finding experts to help with that process and realizing that, that you need to be looking at really what the payers, um, what the payers are looking for and how do you build your practices uh, to support that and the data to support that. Because, at the end of the day, you're, um, it's a sales job and, you, and you're showing um, the value that you're providing to, to your patients and why it's important for those payers, you know, how it's ultimately going to decrease payer costs. And if you, if you do a really good job planning and it's, it needs to start, you know, don't think that you can do this right before your next contract negotiation. This should be part of the strategic initiatives um, and, and really kind of going back to, I'm going to, you know, talk about this one again, but, but your scorecards 
should be impacting. <laughs> the scorecards um, are important, rolling, people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rolling up to the very top to say, you know, here's here's where you need to be um, if, for us to be able to maximize our insurance contracts and network. This is what we need. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just this whole conversation has been really valuable in terms of just really understanding just how granular you have to be and the importance of tracking and scorecards and follow-up and feedback loops. And it's just a, it's a larger level of professionalization or, or maybe sophistication that has to happen and, you know, connecting it to that in-network versus out-of-network. You know, the cost structures have to be lower than they used to be, right? Your cost per bed you know, you need to be keeping it down a lot lower than what people used to be doing. I mean, before, like $500 cost per beds were pretty normal, you know, um, but it's just not sustainable with a lot of in-network contracts these days. So all these processes and these checks and balances and these, you know, operational efficiencies we're talking about help lower that cost structure, which helps you maintain profitability and solvency, you know, as you build the business. Yeah, and, and I'd say that, you know, that relationship with the payers and, and if you really understand what they're looking for, we, we've seen some pretty amazing negotiations out there. And, you know, people that are getting um, automatically approved for they've been able to demonstrate to the payer that they could go through the right methodology of, of determining what's the appropriate level of care. And the payers will turn around and say, we're going to just automatically authorize that you get this many days for these number of patients. Um, and, and we're giving you the trust that you're going to provide what's needed. Um, and, and we'll review this on a regular basis. And, and because those people have been able to show and, and track and say, you know, here's what we're doing and this is why we're stepping somebody down. And sometimes, you know, you've authorized us 24 days, of PHP, but this person only needed needed 14, and and, uh, and so we didn't use all of the authorized days. It also then creates, you know, when you do go talk to the payer and say, I, I need an additional number of days, it's it's really you have to justify um, those as well. But it, it's amazing that if you have if you have your ducks in a row and you really um, understand what the payers are looking for. Um, there can be some lucrative contracts uh, out there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we've we've got a couple of clients that do a very good job of going to the payers and s seeing what they need, right? Versus just trying to build the service and then billing for it. They're saying, okay, you know, this is the area that we're working in, or these are the level of cares we're offering. And as we grow, what's really needed for you, the payer, you know, as one of the primary pairs in this area or whatever the case may be. And we've seen a lot of positive response to that. And then same thing, like you said, you know, just having really quality um, clinical processes in place that are documented and documented well and understanding that the pairs are different, right? I mean, maybe you're using ASAM criteria for every pair, but every pair is, is kind of looking at those criteria a bit differently or, or gives different importance to different criteria unfortunately it just makes it more complicated but that's how it works and you know downloading a biopsychosocial off the internet and just handing it to your intake um, is probably not going to be looked upon as strongly as someone who has really built out a you know statistically significant instrument right with a lot of um, clinical validity behind it and and i i think and let me go back to my comment about being a lucrative contract because i think what I meant there is, is it's a higher rate, but, but 
it's often a higher rate for reimbursement because they're justifying that they're spending more and and it's not you know what you're looking at is this consistent margins um it's not they're they're not they're turning around and saying it's going to cost us more to deliver better care so therefore you should pay us more with an appropriate margin right so right um i think that the days of 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 you know um unreasonable margins uh has changed and the payers are are able to see that and uh and that's actually i mean there's a there's a pretty good um the national association of addiction treatment providers put out uh, uh some billing guidelines and i'd recommend people going out and reviewing those um because because it talks about a lot about this this information yeah that's a good point so we've covered a lot of information here. Are there any final thoughts or anything that you think is really important that we haven't touched on yet? Oh man. Um, I don't think so. I just, I, I appreciate what you do for the industry and, and giving a voice to people out there. And, and uh, I think the industry at a whole is, is maturing and, and it's, it's good for patients and, and, uh, um, I'm pretty excited about the direction that we're moving. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I feel I feel just in the past two years, for whatever reason, there's really been an acceleration of the rate at which um, people are getting more sophisticated, but I'm also seeing more collaboration. I'm seeing more open-mindedness and, and a larger focus on outcomes and, you know, I don't want to say quality treatment because there's always a focus on quality treatment, but v- validating that the quality of the care you think you're delivering is the quality of the care that you're delivering. <laughs> so Ben, if people do want to get in touch with you or Avea Solutions, what would be the best way to do that? Um, best way is to go to our website. So that's aveasolutions.com, A-V-E-A solutions.com. Um, my per- my uh, business email is ben at aveasolutions.com. Uh, I'll throw this out there that if uh, the first uh the first 15 people that email me, I'll send them a, a book of their choice, either traction that I talked about or, or, uh, um, measure what matters. And, and, uh, always excited to talk about, um, business process. If there's things that we can do to, to improve the industry, I, I'm around as a resource. Well, thank you, Ben. I really appreciate the insights. It was super valuable for me and I'm sure it was for everyone listening as well. So thank you so much. And, Uh, We'll talk to you guys next time.